In the world of New Orleans music, one of the most influential offstage movers and shakers is not exactly offstage. What's up? We get vibe. It's your boy, Wild Wayne. Look, I'm going to bring y'all all over New Orleans. We're holding it down real big in the dirty south. If you've never been, you're missing out. But today you're going to get up close and personal. Get a little taste of New Orleans on that time. And I'm going to show you some of the hoods in NO, man. You got to see the hoods because uh, some of the birthplaces are our biggest stars. Master P from No Limit. Them cash money millionaires. You're going to see where they came from, all right? And a whole lot more. It's your taste in New Orleans right here. Doing it real big. Weekend vibe. Radio personality Wild Wayne hosts one of New Orleans' most popular and longest-running shows on hip-hop station Q93. Wayne is doing far more than spinning songs and giving away concert tickets. He uses his show as a platform to talk about real issues that affect New Orleans' African-American community. And he uses his knowledge and experience to foster creativity in young artists. When I sat down with Wild Wayne, we started out by talking about his role as a mentor to up-and-coming artists. You know, I've done radio for 20 years, so I've seen a lot of artists come and go. Uh, I've seen a lot of artists that had talent uh, get with record companies or full record companies or Hmm. uh, managers or fake managers, uh, you know, and... You know, you kind of see these these cats or these artists that, you know, you, you see all this potential in you, like, man, he could be the next great whatever, but get stuck with somebody that is dragging them down or maybe somebody that doesn't understand how to really budget money for a project and understand that it's a business and it's not just good times. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen that over the years so many times, and I say this, like, with so many people, if... I'm sure a million people heard me say it. I, I've seen artists come from under my foot to going over my head and to being back under my foot. What do you mean by that? You know, basically, coming from nothing, having absolutely nothing other than maybe some talent, to being a superstar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of them look up to me when they first started. Wow, Wayne, he's the, you know, he's the big radio guy. He's the this, he's the that, you know. And then getting to the point where they're even bigger than me mm-hmm. or, or, you know, uh, whether it be status or finance. And then losing it all and being back almost to square one. If I can at least impart some of the, the knowledge or the experiences that I've seen to let cats know that this is a long race. You know, this is not a sprint. Like, it could kind of help them out. So I don't know if I become, like, a little fatherly or whatever, but it's stuff that a lot of people will not tell them. I see. So you are kind of doing some parenting or some mentoring for them. Because I've seen it, you know. And then, like, I started this music conference, too, called the Industry Influence Music Conference. Mm -hmm. I've done 53 of them at this point, and ironically, I have the shirt on. Um, But... Like I was saying, having seen so many artists come and go, a lot of them not get their fair due or get robbed or lose it all. I was like, what is the common denominator for their success or their failure? Mm-hmm. And quite often, it was the knowledge of the business mm-hmm. or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I got invited to a lot of different music conferences to sit on panels. You know, because of who I had become from a radio perspective. And a lot of people, people kind of jaded in New Orleans. But when yeah. I go out of town, you know, it's a big deal when Wild Wayne comes. Um, 
But uh, I was like, I don't ever remember there being a music conference in New Orleans yeah. that could kind of benefit like these these artists that are so anxious and so excited about getting in the game but not having the right information. So having dealt with so many record labels over the years and entertainment attorneys, I just started making some calls and I was like, we're going to start one in New Orleans. And uh, it, it's been... 53 of them. That's, people said it wouldn't last one. You do it all here? I do it first Monday of each month at the hangar. At the hangar? And where's the hangar located at? That's uh, 1511 South Rendon, which is right next to the Rendon Inn right. uh, around Washington Earhart. Okay. Um, and it's, it's just... That's it, fantastic. When I did the first one, people were like, man, nobody's going to want to listen in panels. People are just going to want to perform and party. I was like... At first, I started buying into it. Uh, they're not going to want to hear this shit. They're not yeah. going to hear these panels. But you were different. You decided to do something different for the community. And I did it, and the first one was super packed. Wow. And when okay. the panels started, you could hear a pin drop. So it's people talking about music, about the business changes, who's coming up in the, in the leagues right. here. I bring in uh, entertainment yeah. attorneys, uh, publishing companies, um, Songwriters, uh, I've brought in folks from Jazz and Heritage Festival, from the wow. Grammys, uh, bloggers, magazine writers, management teams, kind of all the facets. And then yeah. even started bringing in some folks from the movie industry, since that's kind of burgeoning here as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, especially some of the younger guys that had, you know, garnered some big budgets uh, or had done. DVDs or straight-to-DVD movies or whatever mm-hmm. because, you know, some of them have become kind of cult classics in the hood or with urban audiences, but there was a formula. It wasn't by accident that yeah. they were able to garner a budget to get, you know, some of these, um, you know, A or B artists or actors to get into their movies and the whole, uh, you know, site selections and all of these different things. So they, they were not that far removed. Yeah. So it was really good to get them to come back. So it's all of that. And then, you know, I've, I've had a, a ton of artists come in from here and from afar. You know, I've had Most Deaf. I've had mm-hmm. Mystical, Manny Fresh, Juvenile, um, Mac Main, who's some, the president of Young Money. Um, with some big names. Yeah, you know, uh, Raphael Sadiq, um, Lettucey. Uh, Lloyd, you know, Tyrese's management, just some some big names because, you know, I could say it, and there will be some people that take heed, but quite often when you're in that city and people see you and know you're like, okay, sometimes your message gets watered down to them just because they know you. Yeah. I could bring somebody else in that can say the same exact same same thing. And then it's like... And now the light bulb's going off over their head. So that's what we've done. You know, we've brought in a number of people that have industry credentials um, that are, like I said, actors or or artists. You know, like I said, these industry professionals. And then a lot of the record companies, Universal Records, Interscope, we've brought in representatives from all of them. Where was that instilled in you to, to do something like that? Um... I guess maybe just to give you a little background about how I came up, you know, in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I was born born and raised in the Seventh Ward, you know. Mm-hmm. I grew up on, on DeSay Boulevard, you know, which is real middle America. Um, still have a lot of the friends now that I had when I was 
five or six years old. Yeah. Um, but what happened in your, during your childhood that made it different? I mean, not everyone grows up to be a Wild Wayne and who's rubbing elbows with all these uh, great artists and then, and then actually takes a step forward and say, I'm going to help these folks make it and I'm going to mentor them. And I think that's kind of uh, interesting that you have those qualities, you know? I don't know if there was any one particular thing that happened as a kid or whatever that kind of influenced me to be that way other than just my parents raising me right, you know? And, uh, you know, they were always kind of super helpful. But uh, what did that look like, your parents raising you right? What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, I think, um, I guess that would be, you know, the late 70s or the early 80s was a really interesting time in black America, you know. Um, you know, you had the, the emergence of crack, you know, which was huge. You had uh, a, a lot of breakdowns in family structures around those times. Um, you, you had the, the, uh, the latchkey kid became like a real yeah. common thing. Um, yeah. And there was a lot of unemployment too, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So, my parents really strove really hard to make sure that, that I, I, I did well. And I didn't go to, you know, uh, underachieving school. My, my, my dad was a, a very uh, staunch supporter of education. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it wasn't an uh, option. It was mandatory. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, you know, there's a lot of families in middle America, New Orleans, that, that wasn't really that big of a deal. Some were, some weren't. So, you know, they always pushed it. And, you know, I always went to, I went to Catholic schools my entire life, from grammar school to high school. I went to Xavier University, Catholic University. Oh, yeah. um, so I, I guess you kind of get some of those things instilled, you know, uh, just because of the mere fact that you're in there. But I don't know if there's any one particular person or thing that did it. Just over the years, you know, um, you know, as your character starts to be become developed, you know, going to high school or, or going to college and what have you, um, just dealt with a lot of different people. And I ventured off on my own because mm -hmm. uh, I didn't want to live under my parents' roof, even though I could have. When did you decide to do that? Uh, I was uh, 19. And uh, I was really poor, <laughs> but I was too proud to go back home. Mm -hmm. How poor were you at the time? I was a really poor college student. Uh, I mean, it was so many times, like, you know, where maybe I didn't have lights, electricity, uh, you know, I had to figure out how I was going to put some money in this car to get me to school even. Hmm. Uh, but I, I, I don't regret a minute of it because I think it, it built a huge amount of character mm -hmm. uh, within myself, and it also made me really have a super strong desire to never have to go back to those type of conditions. Yeah. That's not how I was raised when I was coming up. Yeah. But pride is a really interesting thing that'll make you do some funny stuff in life. Um, and I had people in my family that had money, but I refused to, to go back and, and, and you know, try to uh, be less of a man because I was trying to be the man at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just were things that, that made me really strive really hard to become successful. But I guess, like I said, I just saw both sides of the spectrum. 
Yeah. You know, living in middle America in the Civil War, I, I never dealt with poverty, like talking about it. You know what I'm saying? We weren't rich by any far stretch of imagination. But I was able to see both sides. And when I was in college, I stayed uptown. Yeah. I stayed six in Barone, yeah. you know, six in Carondelet. <laughs> you know, this was real interesting world that I was living in or whatever at that time. So so you were witnessing a breakdown in some of the community oh, due yeah. to drugs and, you know, I guess uh, single parents um, and whatnot. What is, was that part of the equation for you that you knew that you had to work hard to, to make it because you, saw, you were seeing this breakdown? Yeah, uh, definitely. You know, it, living uptown was a whole different world. What was know? that like? What, what, give me a, uh, come a visual of what that was like for you back then, living uptown. Um, I mean, you, you run into a lot of seedy characters, you know, uh, a number of them, you know. Uh, so it was nothing to meet, you know. I, this is the first time I really saw guys carrying guns. This is the first time I ever saw somebody do dope. You know, it was mm. like the first time I ever saw somebody sell dope. You know, you see all of these different things. Wow. And I was a college kid, you yeah. know. So yeah. my eyes were like really open to like what was really going on out there in the world. Because in my little humble seventh ward neighborhood, you really didn't see any of those things. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody was kind of close to almost family knit, you know. Um, so it was an eye-opener. Um, Sounds pretty scary. I, I don't know. You know, it, it toughened me up. Mm-hmm. It toughened me up. Um, and I think what it, it, it's created for me was a healthy balance because, you know, I can go in the boardroom or I can go in the hood, you right. know. Have um, you seen witness a lot of violence? Not so much during that time, but being in radio, doing clubs, you, you see a lot, a lot of, of stuff go on yeah. in clubs, and I've seen, you know, I never really saw somebody get shot or anything like that, but I know there's been shootings and those kind of things, and it kind of happens when you're in the club a lot, and mm-hmm. I was, there was a time when I was in the club every night doing mm-hmm. gigs, I just kind of got burnt out over the years, so I don't do that many anymore, but it's like you see a lot of different things, so... Um, and then having, you know, I had kids along mm-hmm. the way. So maybe some of those characteristics or some of the, the fatherly characteristics yeah. that just kind of come out. Because I know having kids kind of changed the way I perceived the world, too. Were you, was there ever a prejudice against you being that you were from kind of, you, you say, more middle America, part of New Orleans, uh, 7th Ward, as opposed to some of these other characters that you're describing? So was there prejudice with me, with those guys? Yeah, like you're, here you are. You're in college. You know, you said that you had a home that was like a, sounded like a loving home. Um, your parents cared for you. You know, and then then you have people carrying guns around, selling drugs, and you're witnessing this. Was it hard to uh, be in that environment, knowing that you had you were somewhat more privileged? Perhaps. I mean, I don't know the backgrounds of these other folks. But. <clears throat> there's a there's a certain amount of apathy, I suppose, with some of the people that are not like you, yeah. uh, I, I guess. Uh, and, and, you you know, you oh, that's the college boy. Or, you know, uh, yeah. you know, why do you talk like that? You know, those kind of things. But you, people have said that to you? Oh, yeah. But okay. I don't know. I, I guess for me, it never really bothered me so much because I was pretty confident in what I was doing. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, 
it was it was definitely a big huge difference. I went to Holy Cross, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So that environment was you know pretty uh, clean cut, you know. Yeah. Nice smooth sailing, and then to be in the hood after that or whatever, it's vastly different. But I don't know. I just kind of always been like an individual of sorts, uh, and and uh, I've really relished being who I am and not trying to be this person or that person or other person. So it's kind of take take me as I am. You know, it is what it is. What what was your mindset to become successful? Um, there were probably a few things. Like that was one of the things. Like going from you know a good wholesome environment coming up and then being in this kind of crazy world or whatever and being really it was almost abject poverty you know what I'm saying uh, but still going to school and, mm-hmm. and you know working a few little jobs here and there but that was one of the things that I said to myself was like I never ever want to have to go back to that type of environment and, and I'm going to do whatever it takes in terms of Outworking the competition, uh, learning more than the next person, becoming skilled at more different things, mm-hmm. and just it just became like a drive mm-hmm. within me to to be bigger, better, better than the rest of the people out there that were doing it. And I remember even early in radio, you know, it was like whenever there was something that needed to be done, I was the go-to guy. So it was like, you know, it was lots of sleepless nights, you know, and it became a point where. You know, you're in college, you're at that age, you know, you go, oh, man, we're going to a party, ah, we're going to this. I'm like, I'm going to be at the station, I'm going to be at work, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this. I'm going to do a double, I'm doing that, you know, I'm going in a production room for about three or four hours, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And it just was like this drive to learn and soak up as much as possible because I just knew if, if I had more skill sets than the rest of the people, I made myself um, like advantageous to get the next job or the yeah. next hustle or to make more money. And and that was like really my driving force, you know. And then I had uh, you know, son my first son and just always wanted him to to have have things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um like I said, I came up in middle America, so there's a lot of things that I didn't have that I wanted. Uh but I had all my necessities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, you start making money and I was making a whole lot of it. You know, it's like I made sure my, my son and eventually having more kids down the line make sure that they had. Um, and that was a, a real drive, driving factor for me is that I wanted my family to, to, to yeah. have things, you know, and to have education and not to want, you know. So that was my push. How did you find your passion? And if somebody were listening to this show, how would you advise somebody to discover their passion? Well, for me, for radio, it's like I never knew it was my passion. Uh, I went to Xavier University, and I was not mass comm, which everybody kind of automatically assumes because I've done radio for a long time. But I was actually biology pre-med, and I wanted to specialize in veterinary medicine. What uh, happened? Um, I caught the radio bug. Um, and I, you know, I went all the way, took senior comps the whole nine yards, and then decided I wanted to do radio all out and uh so during college you were doing radio plus taking your your classes uh yeah in pre-med pre-vet yeah and then at one point then you switch over or uh, did you graduate with a biology degree um i still have like a few more hours to take um okay but i was uh 
I think I started doing radio like as a sophomore. So I'm kind of just balancing the two, not really knowing that radio was going to eventually still be in my life 20 years later. Uh, but uh, it was, it was a, a thing that happened to me in radio when I first started. Um, and like I said, it was, I never even listened to the radio in college. I was cassette tapes. I guess I date myself a little bit there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I listened to Tribe Called Quest all the way to NWA and everything kind of in between. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never, I was not the person that was going speak in front of the class. I was not the person that was listening to radio a lot. It was not even on my radar. But once I started doing it, I really realized a few things. Um, I realized, number one, that I love the excitement factor of radio because it's kind of ever-changing. I like the opportunity to travel around the world and to go to a lot of big events and meet all kind of people that were like on this pedestal when you were first starting. And these people you just saw on TV. And it was really exciting. Um, but it led me to a point when I, when I finally got my own show because I had been a show producer for some other guys and worked part-time here and there radio initially is that I found out that my voice had a lot of power. Mm-hmm. And not in terms of volume, but in terms of people listening to everything you say and taking it at face value and, and feeling like I was the resident expert for whatever I was talking about. You know, so you looked at, I, I personally at that time, you know, I looked at other DJs around the country because you kind of start to have a little fraternity of DJs. It's not yeah. a really huge business. Um, and you see the things that they do and either you can follow them or you can do your own thing. For me, it was like, I just found that my voice had a lot of weight and there were a lot of things that were important that were going on. Or I was able to uh, impart to my crowd some of the ideas that I had on things. You know, sometimes you got to add a package them with a little funny twist or, you know, package them within whatever's going on and segue into your idea. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if there was something that was going on in the community or if there was something that, you know, I liked or disliked about what was going on, I was able to put my opinion out there. And that was, like, huge for me. Yeah. Uh, and the one thing that you found, you know, after you've said this huge statement about something, whatever it may be, uh, you know, if it's, you know, it's a shame that these folks uptown are impoverished or if these folks downtown are living like this or can you believe the mayor just did this or why do we have another killing in the city which is some BS mm-hmm. it's like you had people that would come to you when you walk out of the station they're like man I was listening to what you said last night and man that was the same thing I was thinking so it kind of was like I became the voice of what was going on in the community not on purpose, kind of almost by accident, because I had so many opinions. The one thing that kind of pissed me off was the fact that most of the other radio stations that were disseminating information seemed to me neglecting the urban community. Yeah. So 
radio station that I worked for, you know, we're a music station. They didn't want somebody that was going to do all this talking. Yeah. But, you know, I was like, Wild Wayne, fire me. I was like, I'm going to talk about some of these things because I think somebody's got to get it out there. You know, you still had a lot of folks that didn't have computers. Yeah. Pre-Katrina, even now, there's not not as many people has computers as they're supposed to, even though it's getting better every day, especially when you have mobile devices and all these other things. But, mm-hmm. you know, people weren't getting this information from the web. People weren't getting these phone numbers to call mm-hmm. to get help in their communities. Um, I kind of felt like non-urban radio still was kind of slanting some of the information, you know, and kind of maybe paint black folks as being like kind of, um, you know, less than them or beneath them or I can't believe that they're so barbaric and yeah, all of these yeah. crazy things. And it's kind of messed up to me because I felt like most people in New Orleans are inherently good. Mm-hmm. You just have these small factions of people that maybe do the wrong thing and then you use this broad brush stroke to paint everybody. Right. Yeah. And, and like... Like I said, I've lived on both sides of the tracks pretty much. Right. You know what I'm saying? And even some of the people that I said were more seedy, like living in those neighborhoods and actually talking, they were, they were not that different from me. Yeah. It's just like maybe they got dealt a bad card here or there and their lives never were able to, you know, go back on the upswing. But in talking to them, they weren't that different from me and maybe not that different from you either. Yeah. But like I said, once people get stigmatized, sometimes they start to believe it and start yeah. to, you know, okay, well, you say I'm bad. Well, I'm going to be bad. bad. Sure. Um, how, how did you know that you, you could talk about all these different things and, and handle those uh, topics? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I think a lot of folks that probably be in that position, and like I said, we're music oriented. We're the fun mm-hmm. party station, mm-hmm. so it did take a little kahungas to go there and do that. But uh, yeah. I've always kind of felt like, let me talk about what I want to talk about, and let me impart some of these ideas because I really feel like I live my life the right way every day, mm-hmm. so I don't ever have to look over my shoulder and find out if somehow, oh, man, you did this guy wrong, you did that guy wrong. And that was the way I was raised. So was it, did it take a little courage to do it? Yeah. Um, it kind of didn't because I didn't think about it. I just did you it. You just did it. And you kind of know that you're doing something right is when the phones light up and people are like either left or right. Because if nobody's calling, then you're doing it wrong. And, and that's kind of what, what I've kind of had to do. You know, sometimes... Maybe in business or whatever, you might want to always make the right decision, put together a great business plan or whatever. But in regular kind of life stuff, sometimes you got to just throw that spaghetti against the wall and hope that that (laughs) something sticks, you know what I'm saying? And that's kind of how I feel. Um, And and like I said, I've always tried to be an individual. Mm -hmm. And it's real easy to get caught up and try and do what everybody else is doing, especially in this business. But that's kind of one of the things that kind of separates just like those artists that we talked about at the start of this piece, doing something different and against the grain sometimes or what else is done that's going to separate you and bring you to a high level. 
Today's guest has been radio personality and mentor to up-and-coming artists, Wild Wayne. You can listen to Wild Wayne on radio station Q93 in New Orleans. Thank you for joining me on this edition of Mindset. I'm Dr. Nick Pajic. You can listen to past episodes of Mindset on the New Orleans Podcast Network. It's neworleans.com. Where you'll also find Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti, live from Commander's Palace. Happy Hour with Grant Morris. True to the Game with Chris True. Vietnam, the show about the New Orleans Vietnamese community with Kim Vu. And Midnight Menu Plus One with Margot Moss and the man who ate New Orleans, Ray Canada. You can keep up with Mindset on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. All the links are on the website. It's neworleans.com. If you're listening to this show on iTunes or another podcast app, Thank you for subscribing. Take a moment to rate and review us. That helps other people find us. The technical producers of Mindset are Eric Morrill and Chris Kehoe. Mindset is a production of INO Broadcasting. You know Labor Day signals the unofficial end of summer, but not the end of your outdoor projects. Lowe's helps you do it right and helps you save with Labor Day deals throughout the store. Shop now and get two bags of Stay Green Potty Mix for $12. And keep your lawn looking neat and trim with a Craftsman 2-Cycle 17-inch gas string trimmer now $20 off at just $119. Whatever's still on your to-do list this Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 828. Soil offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii, U.S. only.